through this series. I really just wanted it to be very fundamental and, and foundational for us. And so I pray that you've received some revelation there and uh, some understanding of how important our words are. Um, you know, going back a couple weeks, we opened up with uh, creation, Genesis chapter 1. And God created the entire world with a word. He said, let there be light. He spoke it. He didn't go and, you know, go back in the shop somewhere and manufacture some some stars and some suns and moons. And he put all this thing together with his words. But the powerful thing about it is the fact that he gave us the same ability, the same characteristic and, and quality that our words have just as much power. And so we have to understand this because uh, words are probably what we use. In fact, I know they are. We use words in our day more than anything else in our life. And so we need to learn how to speak the right things, how to be careful of what we're saying. You know, when I was a kid, uh, you know, my parents were always, think before you speak. Think before you speak. Nowadays, you got to think before you tweet and think before you Facebook. I think probably 75% of people that have Facebooks probably don't need one. Uh, but that's a whole other thing, and I won't meddle there, but... Um, you got to think before you put those things out there because the thing about words is once they go out, you don't get them back. And um, uh, I, I, could, I could get deep in words if I wanted to, but words don't disappear. Uh, words are the most powerful things that we have at our disposal. You know, probably, you know, in, in your, uh, you know, even marriage relationships or maybe uh Relationships with a boss, relationship with a friend, relationships with your children maybe, uh, where you have said things you didn't mean, but you said it. You don't get that back. There's things that, you know, I, I've said to my wife, I don't get them back. And I wish I didn't say them. I wish I could suck them back. And so now she's having to put that down and, and believe me that I didn't mean it and, and those type of things. But those, hap those things happen all the time. But that's the power of words is they don't just float out and disappear. They have power. And that's a good thing. And power is good unless it's abused. And so we don't want to abuse the power of our words. We don't want to abuse the system. We saw that the kingdom of God operates on words. It is the most powerful entity in a kingdom. Because when a king speaks something, it becomes law. That means you have to do it. That's the power of of words. Last week, we spent some time looking at the power of God's word, and we saw, you know, over when, um, uh, you know, when, when God gave the command to Moses to build the Ark of the Covenant, and he gave out specific parameters, specific directions. If you think that God is just a, a complacent God and doesn't really have a whole lot of thought and detail to things, then you haven't read your Bible. Because when he was de designing the tabernacle, when he was designing the Ark, uh, Noah's Ark, when he was designing the Ark of the Covenant, the temple, he was very specific in materials. He was specific in lengths and widths and height and weight, what type of wood to use, what type of metals to use, uh, you know, where to get it from. Even he told him, go to the region of such and such, and that's where you're going to cut down the trees to build this thing. He's very specific. And so he gave a word when he built the Ark of the Covenant, and he said that uh, whenever it needs to be transported or carried, you're going to carry it on poles. You're not going to ever touch the Ark. Because the ark represented God himself. The ark represented uh, his glory. That's where he came down to meet with man. And so then we saw over in Samuel that David, King David, was having the ark transported because the enemies of Israel had stolen it. And when they were transporting it on a cart, not on poles, on their shoulders like they were supposed to be, it began to fall off the cart and a man reached out to try to catch it and he died instantly. Well, what's that saying? That's how powerful God's words are. Is he just a big, mean God that's just up there waiting for you to break his word? No, but he honors his word. See, the thing is, is if you don't honor your word, nobody else will. If you don't honor your own word, nobody else will. If you can't honor when you tell somebody you're going to do something or you, uh, you stick to your word, nobody else is going to. No one else is going to value. Remember that word honor is value. No one's going to value your word. And so when you say stuff, it's just going to be with no weight. 
And God's not that kind of king. When he says something, he honors it, he values it, so he has to stick to his word. Because how are we going to honor him at his word if he doesn't even honor his own word? And so we have to stick to his word because he's sticking to his word. And that's the power of his word. If you don't understand the power of God's word, then you won't understand the power of God's word in you. And that's what we're going to look at today is getting his word in your mouth. I want to say this statement. I don't have it on the screens. I wish I would have put it up there. But I'm going to say this statement. God's word in his mouth is as powerful. Or let me say it this way. God's word in your mouth is as powerful as his word in his mouth. Yeah, we should be praising the Lord because he's given us his word on some things. And I got to ask a question, is the Bible failing to produce in our lives because it's not strong enough? Absolutely not. So there's a missing link somewhere. And God is not a liar. Bible says that he's not a man that he should lie. In fact, the Bible says that he watches over his word to perform it. When he puts his word out there, now he's watching over it to make sure it gets done. So he's all about his word producing stuff. He said over in Isaiah that my word will not return back to me void. That means when I send it out to do something, it's going to accomplish that that I send it out to do. If I say we're going to do this, it's not going to come back to me and, and with, with no results, with no production. He's saying my words are going to produce something. So his words in your mouth are just as powerful as his word in his mouth. Sometimes we put the emphasis on who's saying it rather than the word itself. But I'm here to tell you this morning that he's given a word, and if you put it in your mouth, it's just as powerful as when it's put in his mouth. And so that's what I want to look at today. I want to look at confessing the word, believing the word, getting the word in your heart, and how do we build up that confession. Uh, Go with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, title of my message today is One and the Same, One and the Same. And if you have your iDevice or your smart device or whatever, um, you know, you can go on to version. you can get our notes, you can see uh, the verses that we're looking at and follow right along. It's making it real hard these days for pastors to know if people are texting or not. But I just, I believe the best. (laughs) Sometimes I look down and it shocks me. I'm like, oh, yeah, they're using it for the Bible. I know they are. Um, In fact, I was just looking at a picture that some other pastor had taken of some meeting. And it it makes me ponder, why are you taking a picture while someone's preaching? I'm sure we got other things to do. But somebody posted a picture of the congregation and like half of them had their phones in their hands. And I'm wondering how many of those are texting and how many of those are following along with the message. But, hey, I'm, I'm on a device. I could be up here, you know, scrolling the Internet for all you know. But, um, no, I'm looking at my notes. Amen. John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I want to stop right there. In the beginning was the Word. First off, he's showing the priority. One translation says, uh, in the beginning and always has been the word. Another translation says, uh, before anything else was, the word was. That's the priority and the prerogative of the word. It has always been in existence, okay? In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. The word was relative to God. And then it says, and the word was God. Now, this is a tricky one because in our day and age, in our culture, it's tougher and tougher to uh, uh, see a man as strong as his word. It's becoming harder and harder to do that. But our words, people should be able to identify you by your words. Your words ought to reveal something about you. And we're going to find out that they do. They do. So the word was God. 
the word was represented by God, and God was represented by his word. I mean, can people say that about us? Could people say that about us today? Could, could, could someone say his word is Pastor Mark on the scene? If you give my word, I mean, I, I can tell you that the, the military says that about the president. His word is as if he's standing right there telling it to him. Because the president doesn't have to travel around uh, in the midst of war uh, or if, they need to, if we need to go to war uh, to activate troops. He doesn't have to travel around to all the bases and armories to get people activated. He sends out a word, and then when those military personnel hear the word, it's as if President Obama is standing in the room saying, I need you individually to go to Iraq or to Afghanistan or to whatever. That's how powerful his word is. So God here is showing, one, that his word was in the beginning. Before all else, his word has always existed. Two, his word was with God or relative to him. And then thirdly, the word was God. The word identified who God was. And when the word showed up, God showed up. See, we got to understand this because when you speak God's word, not just any word, God's word, God shows up on the scene. If you're having trouble getting God to show up in circumstances and situations in your life, just speak his word and he's there. Because where his word is, there he is. So we got to tie the two together. We can't separate him and his word. His word is him. And many times we're looking for a manifestation or a revelation from God and we've got all the revelation we need. Because as soon as I activate this in my life, God just showed up on the scene. God, I need your help with this. Or God, I need you to get me through this. Well, if I bring his word into the picture, he's just shown up. And so we got to value that. Just as if I would value God showing up, now I need to value his word. Because when I speak his word, I put God on the scene. Go to verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. Isn't that interesting? We just went from the word to a he. He was in the beginning. Verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So look here, this is interesting. We just went from the word, an inanimate object, so to speak, and we just gave it an identity, we gave it a he. What in the world is he talking about? Some of you know where I'm going, but if you skip on down to verse 14, skip on down to verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. If you're still wondering where we're going, the word is Jesus. And God's word he sent to the earth in flesh form. Now, this is an identity that we, we miss sometimes because when we talk about Jesus, we're talking about Jesus the man, but he only existed on the planet for 33 years. And we forget that he was the word for eternity before that. And so God's word just showed up on the earth, but in a flesh form. And we know that everything that Jesus did represented the Father. And he, in fact, he said, there, there's nothing that I do that my Father doesn't tell me to do. And I only operate on his behalf. I only do as he initiates me. I, I only perform and go and do and say what he tells me to do, say, where to go. This is Jesus speaking. Because his word, Jesus, the word, will only do what God sends it out to do. And he said over in Psalms, I sent my word and healed them, delivered them from all their diseases. I sent my word. Well, we know that he's going to perform that word. And Jesus is the perfect example of when God sends his word to do something, it's accomplishing something. Something is taking place. So what we have seen here is that God is represented by his word. How do your words represent you? How do your words represent you? 
God is represented by his word. God is known to people by what he says. Jesus was known to people by what he said. So we got to be we got to be in the understanding that our words carry weight with them. Our words identify who we are. Our words identify what we believe about something or how we're going to respond to something. And so we have to understand this. We can say that God is a man of his word. What does that even mean? That means that whatever your word is, that's who you are. Whatever your word is, that's who you are. Now, we can take that, you know, into the literal. And, you know, when we tell people we're going to do something or making promises or when we make obligations, we need to, to, to fill those and do those. Um, you know, that's obvious. But I want to go to the spiritual because our words apparently bring identification to who we are. And I'll show you that I can uh, tell how I, I can tell how you respond um, or I can tell what you're putting in you by how you respond to, to things. I can tell what's going in by what's coming out. That word life in verse 3, up in verse 3, John 1, 3, it said, All things were made through him, without him nothing that was made, uh, nothing was made that was made. Verse 4, I'm sorry. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. That life, that word Life is the word zoe, Z-O-E, Z-O-E. It's a Greek word that means life, and it means the God kind of life. It means only the life that God can bring. That's what zoe means, okay? Again, when we, when we read the Bible, um, in our translation, when I say life, you know, I have one word, I can mean different things. But when... Uh, it, it, back in the Greek times and Hebrew times, when they would say a word, they had different words to translate the different meanings. So zoe was one word that they gave uh, for life. An, another one was uh, sozo, uh, S-O-Z-O. Sozo, that was another word for life. It means uh, like healing or like to give life to someone. But life, zoe, means the God kind of life. The God kind of life is in here. What does that mean? That means that there's some sustenance here that I need to be feeding on. There's some sustenance. If this is my life, if this is life to me spiritually, then I need to be feeding on that. And there was another time, let me see if I put it down here, in John chapter, I want to say it was in John. Yep, John chapter 6, verse 63. John chapter 6, verse 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. That's the same word, zoe. He's saying my word is life. Here is what you can do for the rest of your Christian life. You can take anything that the Bible says about Jesus and anything the Bible says about God and you can apply it to his word. The Bible says that God is love. So then Jesus is love and his word is love. This is love. Even though sometimes it might seem like it's coming down pretty hard and it's revealing some things and maybe cutting some things, it's all done in love. God is peace. So this will bring you peace. God is a God of clarity. So his word will bring clarity. Anything you can associate to God, since he's represented by his word, you can attach it to his word. You can attach it. So Jesus, we know, was the one that came in verse 4, John 1, 4, said that he came, uh, uh, in him was life, and the life was the light of men, but so is his word. So there's some sustenance. Uh, Jesus uh, told Satan when he was being uh, tempted in the wilderness, and he tried to uh, Satan tried to get him to, uh, you know, turn stone into bread, turn rocks into bread because he's hungry, hasn't eaten for forty days and forty nights. And he said, "Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God." 
His word is life to you. Anybody eat breakfast this morning? Anybody going to eat lunch today? Anybody planning on having dinner tonight? Okay. So we feed our natural bodies. That's our sustenance. This is our spiritual sustenance. And how many times do we take three or four meals a day for our flesh and we have a hard time getting this in our spirit? And then we wonder why we're not spiritually strong. And the highest elite people athletes and in, 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 in military guys that have to take care of their bodies, one of the biggest areas they focus on is what they're feeding themselves. And I can promise you they eat different than you and I. And they have tighter restrictions. And they, have, they know what can't go in. And they know how much of this they got to eat. And you'll find out athletes don't, uh, people uh, that are fit physically, they don't refrain from eating. They eat the right stuff because, you know, football players, baseball players, boy, they eat. Uh, who is that uh, really good swimmer in the Olympics? Phelps. Dude, they did a, uh, Michael Phelps, they did a thing on him um, uh, uh, back when he was in China. And uh, I think it was like the Good Morning Show or something. They had him on, and he was showing them what he eats for breakfast. And I'm wondering... Are you kidding me? You can't. I mean, he had like six servings of pancakes, eggs, bacon, biscuits. Uh, I mean, fruit, uh, milk, orange. I mean, the, it was like, like that's a week for me. And I don't even eat breakfast that much. I could have had some of that for dinner or something. I'm one of those guys. I can eat breakfast anytime. That's why I love Cracker Barrel. I'll go to Cracker Barrel at 7 o'clock at night and get eggs and bacon. I love it. Hash browns, man. I'm a breakfast guy. But this guy's just scarfing it down. Yet he's one of the most fit guys, you know, in the Olympics for what he's doing. And can fly through the water like nothing. You're thinking, I'd be going straight to the bottom and you would have to pull me out with a wench. You have to crane me out. You ain't coming down to get me. You better get me some scuba deer because I'm going to be down. Scuba gear, I'm going to be down there for a while. So they, they feed. It's not an issue. It's not a matter of restricting. It's a matter of what do I eat? And they become strong, and they become fit, and they become able to perform a task at hand because of what they're putting in. Well, it's the same thing spiritually. The word has to go in us. This will not be one of those churches. I refuse to be a pastor that will compromise the word uh, a, 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 for the risk of, of gaining more people. I will not do it. I will not do it. And if at any point, uh, you know, um, it, it, it gets harder or you hear something you don't like, I have a responsibility to preach the word. Um, and Jesus wasn't a people pleaser. I'm not going to be a people pleaser. But there are churches out there that are compromising the message for the sake of let me get a few more people in the chairs. Because, you know, there's times I'll, I'll argue with God and I'll say, God, I could just preach salvation. And I could be looking at buying that building right there. Or I could be looking at needing to move out because I know we could fill the chairs. That's not the problem. But people... The Bible says in the end times, in the last days, there will be those that just want their ears tickled. Just want their, someone to come by and tell me something new. Tell me something I want to hear. And so there's more and more that we're leaving out of the word. Well, that's not really working out for our nation, is it? It's not working out for most of our churches. But uh, we're here to empower people. Amen? We're here to equip. So I... I I don't have um, I don't have the right to one preach what I want to preach, and two I don't have the right to compromise this at any time, because if we're not doing this, then what are we really doing? And so we've got to preach the responsibility and the obligation to obey the word and to get the word in us. I'm telling you right now, uh, when 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 um, I talk to people or counsel people, and they may be struggling in an area. Um, the first two places I look, first two places, 
Well, there's really three places, but the first two places I look are, are you in the Word, and do you have a regular prayer life? I'll go to those two places. And it's not to bring condemnation. You need to be in the Word. I'm saying, look, how many of you have been to the doctor? How many of you have been sick and been to the doctor? How many of you that doctors ever told you something you didn't want to hear? Maybe you even knew they were going to tell you, I've got laryngitis. I know I've got laryngitis. So I go to the doctor. Sure enough, you have laryngitis. But how many of you wanted to hear you had laryngitis? No, you want to hear you're doing all right. There's nothing wrong with you. Go on home, get a couple hours of sleep, and you'll be all right. Then they do what? They prescribe you medication. And you don't want to take the medication. That's been instilled in us from a little kid. The only medicine I wanted to take was Domitap. That was the best stuff in the world. It was like grape soda. I, I, you could put a, a cup of Domitap in Welch's grape soda, and I wouldn't know the difference. Not literally, but I, I, mean, I didn't mind taking it. Didn't mind taking it. But medicine overall, in general, taking pills and, you know, especially the liquids, forget that. That's not an exciting thing to do. But you do it. You do it. So when I counsel people, uh, I, you know, don't treat me any different than you would your doctor. Because I might tell you something, hey, you know, maybe we need to be in the word more. Yeah, you're right. Man, I can't believe that pastor told me to read the Bible more. What's he thinking? No, I'm, I'm prescribing. I'm prescribing. But the great thing about it is this isn't just medicine that you hate to take. Now, for the first maybe few days, you're just having to drudge through reading this thing. What do I read? I don't even know what to read. This doesn't make any sense. But, man, when you get in it, I'm going to tell you right now, you're not going to develop a hunger for this if you don't do it. People ask me, how can I get to read the Bible more? How can I be more hungry? Read it. That's the only answer. I, I don't have any. Uh, get it on CD. That's not going to get it for you. That's a supplement, but that's not reading it and getting it before your eyes and studying it. That's not. We'll get a different translation. You got to be careful with translations. I'll tell you right now, you got to be careful. I use translations as a supplement, not the source itself. There's two translations I will read. New American Standard, uh, which is the most historically correct, and then the New King James Version, which is the most tied to the actual what they said back in the day. But even then, there, there's words that are italicized, and then I've got little notes in my Bible that says they left this word out. Well, why do we leave the word out? Was the way Jesus said it not good enough, so we got to change it up and make it a, tweak it a little bit? I don't know. But you got to be careful with translations because there's those that... They'll slant the whole thing, man. And so you got to keep it in context. And that's for studiers of the word. That's knowing how to read your Bible and knowing how to pull things out, how to look at other verses that say the same thing because you don't want to, you don't want to take a verse out of context. I remember growing up, I had a youth pastor that always told this story that a man, he just pulled one of those, what, is the, what does God want me to read today? So he just flipped and, where does God want me to read? And then he'd point and look at it, and then that would be his verse. And so one day he was flipping through, and he flipped through, and it said, and Judas went out and hung himself. And he was thinking, okay, I don't know what that is. So he flipped again and pointed, and it said, go and do that likewise. <laughs> no, you don't want to do that. You want to keep it in context. You want to keep it in alignment Read before, read after. What's the chapter saying? What's the book saying? Who's the author? What's the time period? Uh, because you've got to keep the word in context. That's the only way it's going to be powerful. That's the only way if you keep it in alignment with how God designed it to operate. Because this word is powerful. But we have to study it and we have to be doers of the word and you have to put it in your life. John chapter 10 John chapter 10, just helping to substantiate that God and his word are the same. John chapter 10, verse 30 says, I and my father are one. Now, remember, who's Jesus? The word. Jesus is the word. So he's saying me and my father are one. God and his word are one. One and the same. You know, I, 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 sometimes I'll get people, I feel like God's telling me to do this, or I feel like God's telling me to do that. 
the greatest way to substantiate a word that God is speaking to you is going to the word. Because he will never tell you to do something that's outside of this word. I tell people to be cautious, you know, when, uh, you know, people are being prophetic or prophesying over people. You got to be very cautious because we throw that tag out. The Lord, thus saith the Lord. And that's a coverall for you, mu- you better listen to me and you better hear what I'm saying. I just got done hearing a pastor say a story that uh, when he was just starting pastoring, he had a, a guy visit his church and just stood up in the middle of the service and began to prophesy. But it was all gloom and doom. And if you don't do this, he's going to burn you up and, you know, all this crazy stuff. And the pastor knew immediately uh, that's not that's not a word from the Lord. It's not a word from God. Because it doesn't line up with what his spirit says and doesn't line up with what his word says. His word will be encouraging. His word will bring uh, freedom. His word will be liberating, not condemning. And so the pastor knew. Well, you know, he, uh, he had to address the congregation. A good pastor will do that. A good pastor is not going to let just anybody come in with any old gift and just stand up and run run the show. What kind of shepherd would let goats or would, would let wolves just come and hang out with the sheep? No, he wouldn't do that. A hireling would do that because a hireling wants to make everybody happy and say, oh, thank you so much, brother, for the word. And then at the expense of the body, a good pastor will guard his sheep. So the pastor said, uh, you know, he had to bring correction. Well, the guy stood up again and they said, look, look, don't, don't do this. Don't do this. It's not in agreement with the word. We've already brought correction. We can talk about it afterwards, but don't keep pushing that. And he gained the trust of his body that day. His church body knew that pastor's got our back because he's not just going to let anybody come in and run the show and do whatever. This pastor is really guarding for us. This pastor's really watching out. He's a true shepherd. But you got to be careful with the word because it's going to be one and the same. God, you can't put thus saith the Lord on it and then it be in disagreement with this. It won't happen. Okay? So we have to be careful there. Now here's what I want to get. God's word and him are the same. God is represented by his word. I said earlier that when you speak his word, he shows up. The greatest way, the quickest way, the best way to get God to show up on your behalf is to speak his word over the situation. In fact, I'll put it this way. God can't do anything until you open your mouth. And a lot of times we tie God's hands behind his back. You mean I have control over what God does? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you have sickness going through your body and you know his word brings healing. But if you fail to speak the word, sometimes we're expecting God to do something new or different. We're expecting Jesus to go back on the cross or expecting Jesus to go get beat again. But he's already done all he needs to do for the rest of mankind. In fact, the Bible says that he is sitting down. His work is completed. His work is finished. Right before he died, he said, it is finished. I'm going to go sit down. You take over. Us. And so God is literally tied when we don't open our mouths. And you can read this all you want. You can know this all you want. But if you don't open your mouth and say, by his stripes, I am healed. Father, I thank you for making healing available in my body. I thank you that this sickness does not have to run. If you don't open your mouth, he can't do anything because if he did he would no longer be a king he would be a dictator what's the difference between a king and a dictator i had someone ask me that question because i was talking to him about god being king because we look at god as a democratic uh view a republic view but god is king which means his word is the final say you don't vote on it and you don't uh have any questions on it and There's no option. You either do it or you don't do it. But the difference between a king and a dictator is a dictator takes away the greatest privilege you have 
your choice. See, Hitler didn't give Jews a choice. See, God is king, and if you disobey his word, it's death to you, the Bible says. But he's not going to make you obey his word either. So in the end, you'll have to stand, and you can't say, well, you, you, you didn't make me do the right thing. Because he's going to say, I don't, I'm not supposed to, and I didn't create you that way. I gave you the ability to choose because that's how I know you really love me. Okay? So, you have to open your mouth. The responsibility falls on us. If we're not talking, he's not moving. We said in the first one that if your mouth isn't moving, your mountain isn't moving. Mark chapter 11, 23. Whatever you say, believe that you receive it when you pray. If you believe in your heart and do not doubt, then this mountain will be cast into the sea. What's the mountain? Your situation, your problem, your circumstance. But your mountain needs to hear your mouth. And if your mouth isn't moving, your mountain isn't moving. So we got to be talking. But here's the thing, and this is why I said earlier that words are the most powerful entity in a kingdom. Because words is where authority comes from. Words is where authority comes from. We've been talking about the believer's authority for about three or four weeks now on Wednesdays, some powerful, powerful messages. I will definitely be packaging it. I will definitely be getting it. It's got to get out. The word has to get out. I'm more more convinced that the enemy is winning in everyday lives simply because of what we don't know. In fact, God said that. He said, uh, my people perish, not because... They don't have resources, not because they don't have armor, not because the devil's stronger than they are. My people perish, die, pass away for a lack of knowledge. So we got to learn some stuff. Amen? This isn't going to be a church that cripples you. This is going to be a church that empowers you. There are pastors out there that are insecure, and they want to keep the church crippled and, and, and paralyzed because... Uh, if they learn how to do it, then you don't need the pastor anymore. I want you to know how to do it. I want you to know how, you know, someone asked me once, why don't you ever, why don't y'all have a lot of testimonies? Or, you know what? The testimonies are that they're getting it throughout the week. And I'm hearing those things. Remember, down in St. Augustine, you know, we'd have people come in that were all about healing services and manifestations happening in church and those type of things. Well, how come y'all don't have that whole lot? Well, hey, what happened on Thursday? You said you were starting to get sick and you prayed, and then it just went away. All right, there's your healing service. Because they were able to do it on Thursday. We didn't have to wait till Sunday morning and wait for the pastor to, you know, lay hands on me and, and dump oil over my head and, and, and do all these different things. You can do those things, but the greatest testimony is you're doing it. So we empower. We equip. That's what the word does. And words provide your authority. Period. That's why they're the most powerful entity in the kingdom. The authority comes from your words. But here's the thing about your words. And we got to do like my mom used to tell me. Watch your mouth. Watch your mouth. We got to watch what we're saying because words provide authority both ways. There are two authorities out there. There's God. And the kingdom of God. And there's the devil. Who doesn't have authorization over you unless you give it to him. And your words. See, here's what the devil uses to gain access into your life and to gain authority over you. Your words. God is the same way. God uses your words to gain access into your life. You know, when he said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be... That's not literally go and start tying stuff up and start, you know, un, you know, tying, untying ropes and start breaking chains off of stuff. He's talking about with your words. You bind it in the name of, the Je in the name of Jesus with your words. I bind that sickness. What does that mean? That sounds churchy. I mean, that's, that's just super spiritual stuff. No, it means literally bind up the devil and his work. 
and then you loose the power of healing in your body. Maybe you feel like your finances are tied up. Well, maybe we've been given access to the devil through our words. Man, I'm never going to get out of this debt. Man, I'm, you know, I just don't think I'm ever going to get a good paying job. I don't think I'm ever going to be able to pay this thing. I don't think, man, I'm just never going to get past the point where I have to just go month to month. Nothing, nothing left over. I'm never going to be able to bless people. I mean, I can't even take care of myself. You will never get out of that because what you're doing is you are freeing up the devil to rule and reign in that area in your life. Period. Ask people that have money, <laughs> and they will tell you. It didn't come because they were speaking the wrong stuff. It wasn't by accident. didn't casually happen. They were working it. They were putting their mind to it, and they were saying the right things. It's the same way with healing. Same way with depression. Oh, I just feel like I'm depressed all the time. Because you're saying, I feel like I'm depressed all the time. Remember what we said the first time? Yeah, being tired. I just, I'm so tired. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I'm just sick and tired. Yeah, you're sick and tired. People that I know that are sick and tired, they're sick and tired because they say they're sick and tired. It happens. We said the first week that you shape your world. You shape your world, negative, positive. But your words is what the enemy uses to get access to your life. Your words is what he uses. Okay? John chapter 6. Actually, uh, look at Matthew chapter 6 real quick. Look at this. This is, this is an interesting note because when you say, when you say I'm worried, um, and I don't mean literally, but if you're worried, where do most people think that worry is taking place? In the mind. It's a concern or it's a thought life. But watch what he says here. He says, therefore, do not worry saying. Do not worry saying. Why? Because when you speak it out, now the enemy's got something to work with. Now you've just given him access and authorized him into your life, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? This is the same passage two verses later. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. He's saying, these aren't things that you should be worrying about, but don't worry about them saying. So we got to ask the question, what are we saying? We got to be careful of what we're saying. Luke chapter, uh, yeah, Luke chapter 6, Luke chapter 6, verse 45. Luke chapter 6, verse 45, a good man, out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth evil. And here's the verse we've always heard. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Do you realize that what comes out is determined by what you're putting in. What comes out of your mouth is determined by what you're putting in your heart. The guarding of your mouth comes by the guarding of your heart. So we have to watch what's going in our heart if we're going to watch what's going out of our mouth. we got to make this connection. The two are tied together. Now, when it says out of the abundance, out of the abundance of the heart, if you slip up and, and cuss, or if you slip up and say something that's wrong, that's not the abundance. We're talking about a habitual lifestyle of speaking the wrong thing. And we all know those people. And you're thinking to yourself, man, if you could just talk different, you could probably see your life turn around. If you could just say something different out of your mouth. But I know, what's, I know what you're feeding on. These people that are into, you know, what's wrong with the nation and this is falling apart and this is falling apart. 
You watch CNN every night, don't you? You watch Fox News. You watch NBC Nightly. And so you're getting all concerned because I promise you, you could turn that around if you started putting this in your heart. You start putting this in your heart. Then we're going to have something else coming out of our mouth. So what is going in the heart determines what is coming out of the mouth. Look at verse 46. We'll keep, we'll, we'll keep on finishing this because he ties it together. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? That's what we'll be talking about next week and wrapping this up is obedience to God's word, abiding in the word and the word abiding in you. Okay? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat. Uh, wow. That was in my head and then trying to say it. Beat. <laughs> Somebody help me out. Vehemently. There we go. The stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently. And immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. And we've heard this story before, but it all, went it all gets tied to what's going in the heart. To guard your mouth is to guard your heart. You won't change what you say if you don't watch what you're putting in your heart. That's all there is to it. So what you put in your heart determines what is coming out of your mouth. John chapter 6. John chapter 6. A little earlier. Let's go back to 63. I read that earlier. It says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. So again, the word is life to your spirit. Now, what does that mean, the flesh profits nothing? It means that it's not for your flesh. Your flesh, is, what happens on the outside is a result of what's going on on the inside. Okay? So we got to take care of the inside first. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. Now, this is an interesting passage. I'm not going to read it all. But Jesus begins to say some things here in John chapter 6. And for those of you that think that Jesus, uh, people just wanted to be around Jesus and they loved him and, uh, you know, they would never leave him and he was just such a great person and people just want to be attached to him, uh, this passage is for you because he begins to say some stuff here and he loses most of his crowd. It says most of his disciples from that day didn't follow him anymore. I know that sounds weird, but that's what the Bible says. Why? Because he began to bring the word. Not everyone will receive the word. In fact, if we go off of Matthew chapter 13, we got a 25% chance of those that will receive the word. One out of four. I hope that's not the case this morning. I hope that you make your soil the good soil that the word goes in, is implanted, and bears fruit. I mean, you need to, you need to tell yourself that every morning on your way to church. Today, I will be the good soil that the word gets planted into. I will nurture it, and I will meditate it, uh, meditate on it. I will water it. I will make sure it gets everything it needs so that it can grow and bear fruit. I will not be the stony ground. I will not be the one that did, wasn't able to take root. I will not be the one that gets choked out because of things that are happening in the world. Just go ahead and choose every Sunday morning, every Wednesday night, every time you hear the word, I will be the good soil. I am good soil, and I will take care of the word. I will be a good steward of the seed that's going into my heart, the soil. You go ahead and determine that in your life. And so Jesus is saying some things. He's talking about communion, talking about you will take of my flesh and drink of my blood and you know, that's really crazy. That's out there. What are you talking about? We're going to eat your body and drink your blood. This is cannibalism and vampires. What are we talking about here? Obviously, he's talking about communion. But too many people couldn't take that, and so they left. And so Jesus turns to his disciples, and he 
looks at them and says, you going to go too? Because he didn't go, no, wait, 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 wait. That's not what I meant. Um, how, how can I say this? No. He just looked to the other 12 that are remaining and says, what, you going to go too? And look at Peter's response in verse 68. But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You have the words of eternal life. They didn't stay with Jesus because, well, we've come this far. Why leave now? They didn't stay with Jesus because, well, you know, he doesn't have any friends. I mean, if we leave, you won't have anybody, so we just feel sorry for the guy. They didn't say, well, if John goes, I'll go. You know, if, and that's what some people do. <laughs> they come to church because someone else is coming to church. Well, if they leave and go to another church, I'll leave. Where did God call you? Where's God placed you? That's the question we got to ask. And so they didn't look at each other and say, you, you staying? Okay, I'll, I'll stay too. I'll hang out. No, the reason that they're following Jesus Christ, you have the words. Now there's people, there's scribes, there's Pharisees, there's Sadducees, there's other people out there speaking the word. But what was said over in Luke and in Mark and in Matthew, that every time Jesus would get up and speak, they'd say, goodness, this guy speaks with power and authority. See, it's not just what you say, it's how you say it. How, uh, how convinced of it are you? And sometimes we just need to spend time getting ourselves convinced that the word works, that the word is real, that the word is powerful. He says, you have the words of eternal life. They stayed with him because of the words that he was speaking. John chapter 14, verse 6. John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we can associate that to the word. His word is the way. His word is truth. And his word is life. If you're confused, if you're having a hard time finding direction, his word is the way. If you are having time, uh, having a hard time knowing truth, because I'll tell you right now, you are lied to every day. In fact, our culture and our generation is so used to hearing lies, we don't even know the truth when we see it anymore. I mean, everything on the internet's true, but I mean TV. I'm talking about TV. The internet is true. You can go read that. No, you cannot. Nothing you hear. It's been twisted. It's been perverted. It's been uh, tainted. It's been messed around with. There's a spirit behind it. It's not just, well, this is how we see it and this is how we see it. No, it's been twisted to where by the time it gets to you, so many people. So much money's been handed out and so many, so many people have been paid off. By the time it gets to you, it's not even the truth anymore. It's kind of like that game if we all lined up in a row and I start with Miss Tiffany down here and whisper something in her ear and tail all the way down and we get down to Leslie down there and she's got, uh, you know, I say, you know, I'm going to buy chicken after service and Leslie says, Pastor Mark is going to the circus next week. What? It's not even the same. It's, it doesn't even make any sense. We've, played, we've all done that game as kids. So we want to go straight to the source. Amen? I don't want a resource. I want the source. I want to go to the source. Guess this is God's word. This over all time has never been messed with, cannot be tainted, cannot be changed, cannot be taken away, cannot be added to. This is the most powerful thing on the face of the planet. And you can get it. You can get it. You can put it in you. So if you're having trouble uh, finding uh, direction, go here. Now, here's what you have to do. You have to couple it with shutting other things out. That's what Separate Timber was all about when we did that uh, a couple months ago. Shutting out other voices. Because I want to know 
his way. If you've got major decisions in your lives, don't go to family members. Don't go to friends. Don't go to Facebook. Go to the Word. This is the direction. Fast. Take time and say, I'm not even going to listen to any other source. I'm going to hear from God. And then from there, he may direct you and say, go talk to so-and-so. Or go talk to your pastor. Or go talk to your parents. But beyond that, I don't want to hear what anyone else has to say outside of God's word. Outside of his word. It's the truth. If you want to get the truth on the matter, you'd be like, Pilate, what is truth? He said, that's what Jesus told Pilate. He said, my words that I speak, they are truth and they are life. And Pilate says, what is truth? We don't know truth anymore. We've got to get back to his word. And his word is life. His word is life. It will strengthen you. It will feed you. It will give you the endurance to press on in your Christian lifestyle. I said a, a few weeks ago after the election that uh, it's becoming, uh, basically, uh, it, it, it is becoming easier for people to live sinful lives. The things that are going on in our nation, it's becoming, there, there's less, uh, there's more justification and less accountability. I can justify it by this, and I can justify it by this, and, and there's no accountability. There's no need to, I don't have to check into anybody else. I do what I want to do. Be your own person. It's the gospel of America. Be an individual. I don't want to be an individual. I want to be numbered with him. I want to be numbered in the kingdom. Because I'm all the individual I need to be in him. But I'm identified with Christ. And so we're seeing this. And so I said that there are Christians, you know, that are concerned, uh, you know, and worry and complain about what's going on. And it's really because uh, they... Th your job as a believer just got harder. There's more work to do. There's more work to do. It's not as easy to blend in at work now. It's not as easy to, to be in those conversations and not have to say anything. Now it's getting to a point you're going to have to say something. You're going to have to take a stance. People are going to ask you, well, where are you at on this? Well, it's not about where I'm at, but since you asked, I'll tell you where the Bible's at on it. And so I'm with the Bible. I side with the Bible. Aside with the word of God. Because the Bible says everything else is going to pass away. This is going to last forever. This is going to stand forever. And they've tried to get rid of this. It was down in Orlando. They have, uh, you know, TBN's got the, the Holy Land deal down there. It's really cool. And they have this exhibit you can go through. that talks about the Bible all the way from the beginning all the way through. And it's amazing how many times, really not amazing, it's, obvious how many times this book has come under attack and they've tried to eliminate it where kings would actually make it unlawful to own a copy of it and would try to burn everything but still here today and it's going to last forever it's going to be here in the end and you want to be found siding with the word not siding with another man not siding with an opinion or a group or a culture you want to be found siding with the word of God. John chapter 8. Last verse. John chapter 8. And Jesus spoke to them again saying. I am the light of the world. He who follows me. Shall not walk in darkness. But have the light. Of life. So the word is light. What does light do? Brings clarity. Darkness. Is confusion. Darkness is, I don't know what I'm doing, I don't know where I'm going, you're just groping at things. But when the light comes on, now you have clarity. See, if this room was pitch black, and I started at this end, and there was no light, I'd be going very slow, especially with all the chairs here. Every step is... Where, but when the light's on, man, I know, okay, there's the path right here. It gets me to the door. There's clarity. The word brings clarity. That's what I love about the word. Because if people are confused about something, if people are, uh, you know, objected to something, 
I'll just go to the Word and say, here, I'll just make it, make it real clear for you. Some people find the Word confusing. But the Bible says that this Word is not naturally discerned. It's spiritually discerned. If you're trying to get head knowledge, you won't get very far. Well, you'll get what you ask for. You'll get head knowledge. And I know people that can spout off verse after verse after verse, but living by it, it's a whole other thing. Doing it, seeing it produce results. God is results-oriented. God is all about results. God is all about his word accomplishing something. God is all about his word performing, coming back. It's kind of like, you know, when someone, when, when an a investor takes money and puts it in the bank. He's expecting it to perform. He's expecting it to come back with results. He's expecting it to come back and prove something and do something. He wants, what, what do you hear them say? Don't work for your money. Make your money work for you. Get this word to work for you. Let's get the word to work for us. And so we've got to get it in our mouth. And you've got to remember, no matter what you're saying, you're giving somebody access. You're giving somebody authority. What you give a voice to, you give authority to. We've got to be careful with what we're saying. So twofold this morning, the word is that you've got to get the word in you to get the word out of you. That's basically where I wanted to go this morning. We've seen the power of the word, of God's word. We've seen the power of God's word in us. But now we've got to get it to work. We've got to get it to work. The word, just the subject of the word, God's word, is one of the greatest subjects found in the entire Bible. You can go from Genesis to Exodus, Leviticus. You can go to Samuel and the Kings. Go to Psalms. Last week we saw Psalms chapter 119. The longest chapter in the entire Bible is all about the word. That's all it's about. The whole thing. Thy word have I hid in my heart. I might not sin. That's in there. Your word is a lamp unto my feet, light unto my path. That's in there. His word will last to all generations. That's in there. The whole thing. You get to the, the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel. The word, the word, the word. And the word came. And the word was sent. And the word went forth. The word I bring to you. This is God's word on the matter. Then you get Jesus, who is the word. And that's all he's talking about. The word. Obey the word. If, I, if, if, if my word abides in you, and if you abide in my word, if you want to be my disciple, you obey my words. Then the apostles, as they went out, they were preaching the word, preaching the word, demonstrating the word. The word is what's going to last forever. I know it's not very deep. I know there's not a whole lot to it. It's very simple. But that is, that, that is the basis of our foundation. And what are we doing as believers if we're not centered around this? And don't get this centered around you. It's happening. Let me get this to conform to my lifestyle. No, let's get our lifestyle to conform around this. I just saw that this morning. Kenneth Copeland said it. He said, don't get the word to conform to your lifestyle. Conform your lifestyle around the word. That's how we get results. That's how we do what God's called us to do. Amen. Father, we thank you this morning. You are awesome. You are so awesome, and, 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 and we love you, and because we love you, we love your word. Father, you said that if we don't obey your word, then, then we don't even really love you. It's questionable. Father, I thank you that that isn't a question in our lives, because we show our love to you 
by loving your word, honoring your word, valuing your word, seeing your word produce the results in our lives that you want it to, that you've commanded it to. Father, help us find time, make time for your word. If it means taking less time from something else, less time to do something else, and making time to be in your word. Father, we want to be your nation. We want to be your people, but we can't do that outside of knowing your word. So, Father, I thank you that we'll become identified with your word. We'll be represented, representing you by representing your word in our lives, that your word in us, it will become one and the same, that we won't falter, we won't shy away, we won't uh, 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 pull away from it, but we'll keep adding more to it. And then we'll see it produce results in our lives. Father, when we speak your word, we want the power to be there. When we apply your word, we want it to bring power. When we are being doers of the word, we want it to bring power in our lives. And so we, we, we vow today to devote ourselves to your word. And we thank you that we can be everything you've called us to be by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.